Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be always acceptable in your sight, O God. You are my rock and my redeemer. Please be seated. At the end of the 20th century, it seemed to many like the world was about to end. The year was 1999, and everyone seemed uncomfortable with how fast the world was changing. Everything seemed uncertain, and it was obvious that we were on the brink of disaster. We were approaching not just a new year, but the last year, Y2K. Many took this time as an opportunity to prepare, to store food, and to find a safe location to wait out the disaster, get a leg up on the coming apocalypse. I was four years old when all this was going on, and I'm not exactly sure what was happening, just that it had something to do with computers acting up. Maybe some of you are old enough to remember this situation more clearly than I am. For my four-year-old boy self, however, though the news never mentioned this specifically, it seemed a reasonable fear to me that we would face the threat of robots right here in Louisville, Kentucky. <laughs> in expressing these fears to my father of robots attacking in the night, he responded with a solution of his own, my own way to prep for doomsday. My dad handed me a screwdriver saying that if the robots were to attack, I could simply take out the screws and remove the batteries and be fine. This seemed like a perfectly reasonable and appropriate precaution for me. And with that, I was officially doomsday prepped. I slept soundly with a screwdriver at my bedside table knowing that should the technological terrors of the 21st century come for me in the night, I could just take out the batteries and everything would be just fine. Ultimately, my concerns of robots proved to be about as legitimate as everyone else's. New Year's Eve came and went, and we entered the 21st century in about the same position we left the 20th. And to this day, I have never had to use a screwdriver in self-defense against robots. It seems like the world is always peddling problems and disasters and offering solutions so that we can save ourselves and find security. And these solutions never seem to fix anything, and the problems just keep coming. This has always been the case, and the 24-hour news cycle has only made things worse. Every day, there's a new deadly problem, and there are always new ways that we need to prepare ourselves. One day to the next, the cycle continues, and things just feel crazier and crazier. This is how the whole system of advertising works. 
we get told about the problems we should be worried about and are then told of things we need to buy in order to solve these problems. This is why we get so stressed about every election. We're told that the results of this particular one will be the solution to all the problems we face. It feels like things are going crazy now, and 22 years ago, we thought the world was going to end. Things were no different 2,000 years ago. In our gospel reading today, Jesus speaks into the midst of an equally crazy world. The tax collectors and the rich are exploiting the poor. Religious elites seem to have given in to their Roman occupiers. Zealotry and rebellion seem to be in the air. The Roman imperialists could destroy the temple at any time, the center of Jewish identity. It felt a lot like the end of the world. Just as now, there is a lot to be worried about. And it's into this chaotic and changing world that Jesus offers us something that the problems of the world don't expect or account for. Turn with me in the Bibles in front of you or follow along in your leaflets to Luke chapter 12, verse 32, and read along with me. Do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give alms. Make purses for yourselves that do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. How might this have sounded to the people listening to Jesus? People who, just like us, have a lot to be worried about. Many of Jesus' followers were hoping for a solution to their problems. They were hoping that Jesus would overthrow Rome, that the system would be fixed, that the concerns they lived with day to day just might have an immediate answer, finally. But what Jesus offers in this collection of sayings is not a solution to any of the problems that the world is posing us. There are always going to be new threats and problems to make us feel insecure. And there are always going to be solutions offered by the world to fix those problems. Ways we can prepare for coming catastrophes, build up security, actions we can take right now. But Jesus doesn't offer solutions to the problems that the world worries over. He redirects our attention to things that actually matter. Jesus doesn't offer solutions to the problems that the world poses. He redirects our attention. Our reading opens with Jesus telling us not to be afraid. Do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. We're given an assurance not to be afraid. And this is already so different from the constant fear that the world is generating. Instead, we get an assurance. Do not be afraid. And a promise. 
It is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Do not be afraid. It is the Father's good pleasure unearned by us. That's so difficult because it feels like there's always something worth worrying about. It always feels like we're standing on the edge of a cliff. We would all like an immediate answer when we approach God in need, no less now than 2,000 years ago when people were hearing Jesus preach these words. But Jesus doesn't meet us on the world's terms. His promise and assurance to us is that it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. You don't have to convince anyone of your worthiness. God loves you. You don't need to earn anything. Your salvation is not contingent upon how you look to others or even how you feel about yourself. The kingdom of heaven is given to you freely because God loves you and he chooses to be with you. It's from this assurance, this unearned gift given out of love that the rest of this passage proceeds. First, Jesus tells us that since we have this assurance with the Father, we no longer have to hold on so tightly to the worries and cares that we're so often distracted by. No matter what we've achieved, there's no permanent solution that can fix everything. Despite our best efforts, we don't have any certainty in our earthly lives. The people who Jesus spoke to certainly knew that nothing in their earthly lives was a given. Most would be born into, live in, and die under foreign occupation, under poverty, under oppression. It isn't wrong to want security, to try and take care of the things we're responsible for. We are, after all, stewards of God's creation, and it is our job to care for the things and the people for which we're responsible. But we can prioritize trying to find earthly problems to what we face, and we do this to our own detriment because the solutions we seek after are no guarantee, and Jesus does not promise us earthly security. At a certain point, trusting in these solutions is like putting our trust collectively in my old bedside Y2K screwdriver, ready to fight robots. It's the wrong set of tools for the wrong set of problems. We've already been given the assurance of God's kingdom, so our focus doesn't need to be one of fear, holding on tightly to our own security. We've instead been given the blessing and the freedom and the opportunity to look out for the people who God has put in front of us, our brothers and sisters, our siblings in Christ, co-heirs of the kingdom, who we can build up and work together for something that will actually last, the kingdom of heaven. Where our natural inclination is to be distracted by our own security, by the next thing, the world keeps turning and things keep moving. 
none of the things we make to protect ourselves will give us any real certainty. Christ's promises, though, are eternal. And the work we do together in Christ's name is building up a kingdom where no thief comes near and no moth can destroy. That's where our treasure is, and that's where our hearts need to be also. Jesus continues to say that we need to be watchful, ready for Christ's coming kingdom. Continue to follow along with me in your Bibles or leaflets to verse 35. Be dressed for action and have your lamps lit. Be like those who are waiting for their master to return from the wedding banquet so that they may open the door for him as soon as he comes and knocks. Blessed are those slaves whom the master finds alert when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will fasten his belt and have them sit down to eat, and he will come and serve them. If he comes during the middle of the night or near dawn and finds them so, blessed are those slaves. Our lives are so full of distractions now just as much as in Jesus' earthly ministry. If we aren't watchful, we will become distracted. We'll go chasing after the whims of society instead of looking after the things that matter. Keep your lamps lit. Be dressed for action. Admittedly, uh, this can sound a little doomsday preppy, like a Y2K situation. But let's take a look at what Jesus is telling us to be ready for. Be like those who are waiting for their master to return from the wedding banquet so that they may open the door for him as soon as he comes and knocks. It's not a disaster we're waiting for. We aren't waiting for turmoil at the end of the world. We're waiting for Jesus. This very same Jesus who's speaking to us in the text the very same Jesus who has already saved us in his death on the cross and in his resurrection. We know this Jesus, and we know that he is coming in order to dwell with us, to fasten his belt and sit down with us and eat with us and serve us. We're watching and waiting for the God who loves us, and has given the assurance to us that we are to dwell with him forever. We don't wait for Jesus in worry and in fear. We're waiting for the realization of the good news we've been given. And that kind of watching, that kind of waiting is different. Watch for God. Wait for the kingdom breaking into the world. It will come as a surprise, but in the meantime, we have all sorts of good opportunities to build up meaningful, eternal treasure in heaven. We can work and watch and wait with our brothers and sisters who we serve and prepare alongside. We, right here at St. Francis, can build a community that isn't based on worry or scarcity. We can be a church that's built on the truth of, of Christ's promises doing the work that he's given us to do together. With projects like Build-A-Bed coming up in just a couple weeks, we'll be living out this vocation as a community, serving those around us from an outpouring of God's love and assurance 
rather than distraction and worry. This is how we prepare for Christ. We've been given the freedom in Christ to be watchful by serving and giving rather than by worrying and wondering. Life weighs us down and the world pulls at us with so many worries and distractions, driving us in so many different directions until we aren't really paying attention to anything. And if we do happen to find something to focus on, it's something we ultimately can't rely on, like my old bedside Y2K screwdriver. But we've been given a better thing to watch for and a better way to prepare. Watch for our God and serve his kingdom right now in those around you. Christ is coming back. The kingdom of heaven is approaching and the promises that God has declared to us in scripture are being, have been, and will be realized. It's for us to rest assured in those promises, to watch and wait, and to live for the kingdom of heaven, which is offered to us freely and will never, ever be taken away. Do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Amen.